Matthew chapter number six. I'm glad to have everybody out today. And we're going to be continuing our lesson that we've been in for some time now. Uh, we've been looking at spiritual health and spiritual growth. And uh, we saw that, uh, that if we are healthy, we're going to grow naturally, right? And so the decision that we have to make is whether we're going to be healthy. We could compare it to, uh, and this might be a bad uh, comparison, especially after the holidays and coming from me, but uh, be a comparison with our physical health that we have to make choices. We have to make good choices in order to be physically healthy. And uh, if we're making those good choices, if we're putting ourselves in the right environment, if we're subjecting ourselves to the right things, then we're going to have health. Uh, if we're not, we're not going to have health. And uh, Les and I was talking this week about uh, she's, uh, I, I better behave myself. But anyway, we were talking this week about uh, eating habits and bad habits and breaking habits and whatnot. And, and just the fact that whenever you eat like rubbish, you feel like rubbish. And uh, so there is that, uh, that aspect to our physical health. And the same thing comes into our spiritual health. And our desire as Christians should be to be uh, spiritually healthy. And as we've been going through these things, we have tried to stress that the, the things that we are doing as Christians aren't to uh, obtain eternal life. They're not to be saved. They're not in order to pay Christ back for saving us. Because we know that salvation is a free gift. It's given freely. It was paid for on the cross. And uh, uh, so it's nothing that we are doing it to earn, to repay that. But instead, now that we are saved, uh, we have uh, new life within us. Uh, hopefully we have a new perspective. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And old things are passed away. All things are, be or behold, all things are become new. And so with that, we have new desires and uh, new priorities and different things. And so with that, and being in the, the family of God, being a child of God, uh, we have a choice that we can make. Uh, the Bible talks about uh, what we yield ourselves to, whether we yield to the spirit or we yield to the flesh, and those having an effect on our spiritual health and our spiritual growth. And so as we uh, look at these things, we, uh, we want spiritual health, we want spiritual growth, because for one thing, it pleases God, and it is God's will for us. And as Christians, uh, I believe whenever we get saved, we have a desire to do the things that please God. And then uh, we also find that we want spiritual health and spiritual growth because it is good. It's good for us, simple as that. Uh, we are in agreement with God, hopefully, that the things that He says are harmful and sinful and wrong are not good or not healthy for us. And the things that He says are good and helpful and right are good for us, right? And so it is good. Uh, we also find that uh, spiritual health and growth transforms us. It changes us from the inside out. What religion tries to do, it tries to change you from the outside in. It says act the part, dress the part, look the part, smell the part, all of those things, and show everybody how pious and how religious and how holy you are. Uh, but God says, let me do a work from within you. Uh, fill your life with... Uh, the things of God and with uh, these things that I have given you for life and health, uh, eat the food that I have given in essence. And with that, you'll flourish, you'll grow and you'll have that uh, health. You'll have that transformation. We also see that uh, uh, growing in health and uh, uh, 
spiritual life is going to cause us to avoid a lot of the heartaches that are associated with sin. Uh, as we seek God's way and His will, He's going to be leading us away from a lot of the things that this world falls into and the damage and the brokenness that results from it. And it's going to uh, change and transform the broken thinking and the broken habits and the broken feelings and emotions and uh, all these things that we have. It's going to transform those things and it's going to give us uh, wholeness. It's going to give us health. It's going to give us uh, life and cleansing. And so we desire it for these things. And the last thing I have written down here, and I know there's more, is that whenever we are... uh, seeking growth, uh, spiritual health and growth, uh, it puts us on a route where we're going to find God's blessings, okay? And so if we're going our own way, if we are walking the way of this world, we are not on the path that God has for us. We're not going to have the blessings in our life that God has for us. But whenever we're going His way, the Bible says that uh, His will is good and acceptable and perfect. And in it, we're going to find His blessings, His provision, His protection, And so as we're talking about uh, spiritual health and spiritual growth, uh, we desire these things in our life, but a lot of times we uh, fail to actually have that growth and that health. I said before that uh, there's people who have been in church for their entire lives and have not actually grown spiritually. They're just about the same place in maturity and in growth that they were whenever they first got saved. Why? Because they have avoided, they have uh, not taking the, the gifts that God has given for their growth, for their health, and for their strength to cause them to grow. They've not entered into that partnership with God. They've not planted themselves in that environment where they can grow and be healthy. So before we go any further, let's go ahead and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. And then we're going to be looking at our next step here. And so let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. And we do thank you for this time here in your house, Lord. We thank you for those who have gathered out here today. And Lord, we just ask your presence, Lord, we ask your guidance, Lord. I just pray that you take your word and apply it. I pray that you would give me wisdom and direction, Lord, as I seek to teach, Lord, and just be with the hearers, Lord, that they would receive from this exactly what they need. Lord, I do pray, help us, Lord, to cultivate health and growth in our lives, Lord, that you can do that transformative work in our hearts and lives, Lord, that you desire. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to see the, the need for this, Lord, and help us, Lord to desire to seek after it, Lord. We thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so as we're looking at this, um, uh, one thing I want to stress is that spiritual growth and spiritual health doesn't come by hard work. It doesn't come by self-effort because that's what religion teaches you is try harder, do more. If you're struggling, if you're failing, if you're having problems, it's because you're not working hard enough, you're not trying hard enough, you're not doing enough. And that's what religion tries to tell you. But that's not what we find in Scripture. The Bible tells us, as we've looked at here recently, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon me or upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. That doesn't sound like what I was just saying with religion, does it? And so we see the here that we can yoke up with him, we can come alongside of him and put ourselves in that place, utilize these gifts that God has given us, put ourselves in an environment of growth, okay? And so in anything that is growing, anything that has life within it, whether or not it grows depends on where it's planted, depends on the environment that it's in, right? Uh, You can even take a child, for instance, you're not planting a child, but the atmosphere that they are surrounded by, the environment that they're in 
is going to have a big effect on how they grow. Right. Okay, and a lot of children become extremely stunted adults because the home that they grew up in was not a healthy environment. Right. right? We've all seen that. Okay. You take a plant, take a flowering shrub or something, and put it in uh, rocky clay mixed soil that has no nutrients or sandy soil. It's not going to do real well. But if you put it in nice, rich soil, it's going to flourish, right? Yeah. And so we see these different uh, pictures here, uh, even things that are in Scripture. It compares us to plants. It compares us to children, all these different things. And so we desire growth. And so a lot of it depends on environment. And as I was studying that this week, uh, that's what kept popping out to me was the, the idea of the environment we're surrounding ourselves with. Mm-hmm. So as a Christian, for instance, what are we surrounding ourselves with? What environment are we putting ourselves in? And does it bring forth growth? What are we subjecting ourselves to? What is filling our hearts, our heads, our, our minds, all of these things in our lives is going to make a difference in our growth. And that's where our part comes in. Uh, we put ourselves in the right environment and God reworks our heart and our mind. That's, that's a simple way to put, um, put Christian growth and uh, defining our place versus God's place. So it's not our efforts, not all of our work. Uh, we put ourselves in the right environment. God brings about the results. Yeah. Okay. And so with what we looked at last week, we were looking at uh, one of the most important things that we need in our life to grow as Christians, and that's the Word of God. And we find that uh, the Word of God informs our mind. It tells us uh, about God. It tells us uh, about His nature, His character, uh, His love for us, what He has done for us, uh, His desires for us, His direction for us, His will for us. The Word of God informs our mind. It also guides our thoughts and our desires. The more that we are surrounding ourselves with God's Word, the more that we're putting in our minds, the more it shapes the way that we think. The more it shapes the way that we desire and the things that we desire. And so anyway, uh, we need the Word of God in our lives. We need to be subjecting ourselves to the Word of God so that it has that work in us. And we talked about last week how it's not about how many chapters I read. It's not doing it because I have to. It's not doing it out of obligation or ritual. But instead, it is taking it as your daily bread, as your necessary food, saying, this is something that's going to bring about health in my life. As I read this, this is me hearing from God. This is God doing a work in me. And so we desire God's Word. As we're reading the Word of God, it refocuses our attention. Maybe that's a a good point for right now, isn't it? (laughs) The Word of God refocuses our attention because as we uh, go through our life, if we look at the things around us, we're going to be troubled. We see the things that are going on in life and we see the, the problems in the world, we're going to be troubled by that, right? If we look to ourselves, we're going to be discouraged because we don't have the ability and we're going to see failures and struggles and strife within our own hearts. But as we read through the Word of God, it refocuses our attention on God. It gives us the right perspective and we see God as lifted up through His Word. We see Him as powerful, as capable, as available, right? And so it refocuses our attention on Him. It increases our faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so as we're hearing about God and we're reading about the prophecies that have been fulfilled, we saw that on Wednesday night, and as we are uh, seeing the things that the Bible says about God and the way that He worked in the lives of others and the way that He delivered His people and 
all of these things, it increases our faith in him, our dependence on him. And we see that if he did that for others, he can do that in my life as well. Increases our faith. And it also combats the lies and the falsehoods. Because there's always going to be a narrative going on in your head, either by your flesh, by the world around you, or the devil whispering in your ear, telling you all kinds of lies about yourself, about God, about your relationship with him. And all of these lies are going to be fleshed out in the Bible. As you're reading through the Word of God, it is telling you the truth. It is telling you who God is, what He thinks of you, what He's done for you, and all of those lies that come into your head, all those things that you entertain, uh, will be put down, will be put away by the Word of God. And so God and His Spirit use the Word of God to transform our thoughts, our feelings, our desires, and our actions. And so today what we're going to look at is prayer. Next uh, great building block for Christian life, we have his word and then we have prayer. Uh, someone has once said that uh, prayer is uh, one half of the conversation. In prayer, we are talking to God and reading his word, he is talking to us, right? And so it is a communication, it's a conversation with God here. And so let's look at Matthew chapter number six, and this will be our starting point for today. Here you thought I was already started, didn't you? Yeah. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 5. It says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. After this manner therefore pray thee, or pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so in this passage, we find Jesus giving uh, some instructions about prayer. Now, keep in mind, this was still during the time of the law. Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. He was not in heaven making intercession for us yet. So there's a few differences that we'll see there. But the disciples had noticed that Jesus had put a priority on prayer. He had greatly emphasized prayer in his life, that even Jesus, the Son of God, while he was on this earth, continued to make provision for himself to get away from the crowds, to get away from the uh, all of the, the hustle and bustle of the things that was going on around, and for him to go away and talk to his Father. And day by day, they were observing him, and they said, we see he's going off to pray, he's going off to pray again, there he's going to pray again, he's praying about this, he's praying about that. And it caught their attention that he emphasized prayer so much, not by necessarily what he said, but by what he did. This was something that he prioritized, something that was important to Jesus. And if Jesus needed to go to God in prayer, I think we need to that much more, right? And so anyway, they were observing this. And in a parallel account in Luke chapter 11, it says that the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him, Teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. 
And so they said, we've noticed that you're constantly praying. We've noticed that John is teaching his disciples how to pray. So teach us to pray. And so he gives them this uh, model prayer. He says, pray after this manner. He doesn't say, repeat this verbatim. He doesn't say that this is formulaic or ritualistic. This isn't something that you must do by just repeating this prayer, as many have taken it to be, and to where they just have memorized this, and they uh, repeat it basically without thought, out of habit, right? Which I find strange because in verse number 7, it says, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. What does it mean to use vain repetition? That means that you are repeating something without thought. Not giving any consideration to it whatsoever. And so for you to just be rambling on without thought, without care, and calling it prayer, he says, don't do that. He says, the heathen do that. And he says, they think they're going to be heard for their much speaking. And whenever Jesus gives them a model prayer or a sample of prayer, and what I'm getting into now is some of the, the false views on prayer, okay? That's where I want to kind of start with here. And I want some of your all's input on this here in just a minute. But anyway, whenever he started teaching them about prayer, he didn't give them a lengthy prayer. He didn't tell them how many times to pray. He didn't tell them how long to pray. And instead, he gives them a short prayer. He says, don't pray mindlessly. Don't use vain repetitions. And he says, they think they're going to be heard for their much speaking. So if you think that you have to pray long and eloquent prayers in order for you to be spiritual or for you to be heard, that really goes against verse number seven. Most of the prayers that we hear recorded, that we have recorded in the Bible, are extremely short. Now, I'm not advocating for short prayers, okay? But I'm saying that we need to refocus our mindset, our motives on how we go about prayer, okay? And so as he teaches them to pray, he says, don't do it as the hypocrites, Standing out publicly, now this isn't saying that you don't pray in public. We've already prayed publicly, right? I prayed whenever we began this morning. But he says, don't be praying to be seen. He said the hypocrites like to pray standing on the street corners. They like to be praying loud for everyone to hear. And he says, essentially, you're not praying to be heard of men. You're praying to be heard of God. Talk about motive, right? And so whenever you're praying, you have an audience of one. Whether you're praying publicly, publicly or you're praying privately, you have an audience of one. You're praying for God. You're praying to Him. Okay? And so if your motive is to be heard of men, it says you have your reward. I was reading as I was studying this week, there was a, a pastor that I was reading from, and um, he said that he went to this, uh, this camp or this convention, and at it there was a preacher that was to be there, the speaker, was known as a man of prayer. And he had this huge reputation for being a man of prayer. And he said as he was going to this uh, this meeting, he was a little bit nervous about it because this guy was seen as some kind of a spiritual giant, that he was such a man of prayer. And whenever he got to the meeting, he found out how the man got his reputation. He said every morning at six o'clock in the morning, the guy would wake up early. He would go down to the, uh, I don't know if it's to the cafeteria or to the uh, to the uh, sanctuary or where it was, and from 6 o'clock in the morning to 7 o'clock in the morning, he would pray so loud the entire camp would hear him. And that's how he got his reputation for being a man of prayer. 
And uh, he found out pretty quickly that the man was praying to be heard of men and to keep that reputation going instead of to be heard of God. And so what it says here is whenever you pray, uh, it says enter into your closet and pray unto God in secret, and the God who hears you in secret will reward you openly. Does that mean that you literally have to like dig all the clothes out of your closet and bury yourself down? In the, we'd be in bad shape here. Everybody's got wardrobes. Can you fit in your wardrobe? That'd be bad, wouldn't it? But the idea here is that you're not being uh, seen of men, that you're not praying for the benefit of others, but you are praying to an audience of one. You're praying to God. Okay? And uh, I think it's beneficial to have a special pr- place to pray. It doesn't mean you have to set aside a room in the house. It can be, uh, it can be anywhere, honestly. Well, but we'll get to that here in just a little bit. But thinking on wrong ideas about prayer. Uh, people have... Uh, formula prayers, they have memorized prayers, they have uh, all of these different things. Like I said, uh, saying the the Our Father, they, right? Isn't that what they call this? The Our, Our Father? Uh, within the Catholic Church, you, you sin, you go to confession, they'll tell you to say so many Our Fathers and so, so many uh, Hail Marys and all that. And with that, it is something that you're mindlessly uttering. I've heard people talk about praying the rosary, and they've got it memorized. They say it over and over and over again. And they can say it and go about their day and not even think about what they're saying. It's just, it's ritualistic. And with that, God's not hearing those prayers. Okay? People think that they need to pray in some way, that they have to use certain words and certain phrases and go about it this way or that way. Something I was thinking of as we were, as I was studying this week, is that many people struggle with prayer because the only prayers they've ever heard anyone else pray are public prayers. You ever think about that? You pray the same way in private as you do publicly. What's some thoughts on it? Do you pray the same way privately as you do publicly? Yeah? I think sometimes when you've been put on the spot, when you're in a, a group to pray, you sort of hold back on just praying the way you normally would pray because mm-hmm. you feel you've been watched or listened to and how you're praying and mm-hmm. it's a certain way, you know. So that puts people off from praying. So it's not the same as what you would be yeah. at home. At ease with the Father. Okay. If you really feel like you're being judged and scrutinized. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. Only all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Depends, yeah. Yeah. Depends on the setting, yeah. Depends on the setting, yeah. Okay. Well, let me uh, let me rephrase it. Uh, are public conversations the same as private ones? <laughs> Taking prayer aside, right? If you're in a formal setting, are you going to speak differently than if you're in someone's living room? And so we're not talking about being hypocritical or being uh, two-faced or anything in, like this. But in all areas of humanity, uh, whenever you are in a more formal setting, such as in church, if you're praying in church out loud, such as whenever I'm getting ready to preach or something like that, I'm going to pray differently than what I do whenever I'm by myself at home or whenever I'm in my car driving down the road or wherever. I'm going to pray differently. And so a lot of the time, the only prayers that we ever hear Anyone else pray are the formal, more public prayers, right? I can remember whenever I was growing up in church, 
uh, in the church that I was in, uh, a lot of the older men, my grandfather was one of them, uh, a lot of the older men prayed, and it was like they tried to break out the Elizabethan English when they prayed. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's thee and thou, and and it got really weird whenever they were praying. And so that's what I heard prayers of being growing up. And it's like, and then they, you know, they would, they would almost wax poetic while they're praying. And, you know, and, and it would be strange and be like, okay, so this is what prayer is. And so it starts shaping our idea of what prayer is supposed to be like because of how we hear other people pray. Because isn't that how we learn things? Okay. And so this is one of the reasons why the disciples were coming to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. Is it because as Jews that they had never prayed? Well, you read through the Old Testament, you find plenty of prayers. We looked at Daniel praying there a couple weeks ago. You look through the Psalms, a lot of those are prayers, right? So the Jews prayed, but it was becoming less and less uh, common by the disciples' time because people were getting further and further away from God because of the way the religion had pushed them and things like that. But also because they were seeing in Jesus uh, that he was coming to God a different way than all of the people that they had seen and their religious leaders and their priests and whatnot. And so they said, there's something different about this. Jesus teaches how to pray. And so as we come down to uh, his actual uh, prayer here, his model prayer, if you will, he says, after this manner, or in this way, don't repeat this verbatim, but in this way, it says, um, our Father which art in heaven. Now, once again, it doesn't mean to invoke the same type of language that we see here. I'll bring this up to modern times, okay? I'll bring this into modern vernacular, if you will. As he says, pray after this manner, he says, our Father which art in heaven. It is a matter of relationship. He's saying, consider who you're speaking to. And this would have been something completely new and transformational to the disciples. It's something that we take for granted now, is looking at God in the relationship as a father. So he says, you're coming to him and saying, Father, you're going to address someone when you're talking to him, right? Father, that's in heaven above. It says, hallowed be thy name. That idea of hallowed, it means that it is separated, that it is holy, that it is special. So it says, Father in heaven, there's no one like you. You're above all others. We're in with praise, right? We are realizing, we are uh, processing in our mind who we're speaking to. Because whenever you realize who you're speaking to, it's going to determine how you speak to them, Right? What kind of relationship, what kind of conversation that you have with them? And so he is uh, relating to God as the Father, the one that is in heaven, that is over heaven, the one that is like no other and has the ability like no other, but that he has access to. Process that for just a minute. The God who created all things relates to us as a father with his child. Okay? And so hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, I want you to be in charge down here like you are up there. I want your ways to be accomplished. I want things to go the way you want them to. I want your will to be done. Right? 
So he's thinking on how God is above all, that he is over all, but he still loves me, relates to me, and I can come to him. He's able to work all things together for my good. He is uh, able to order the stars in the heavens, uh, send the angels where they need to go, and I want him ordering my life and the world around me. Okay? He says, give us this day our daily bread. That's something almost too simple, isn't it? God, provide for my daily needs. A lot of times we skip over that kind of thing because, hey, I've got this under control. I work my job. I have my paycheck. I'm able to provide for myself, God. i got this taken care of. I'll, I'll save the bigger things for you. Remember how we talked about last week in the second service that we can even take the little things to God that we can cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us? And so he says, even praying for our daily bread. God, I'm trusting you for my needs. I can't depend on myself. I don't know that my job may be going tomorrow. I may not have the abilities. The economy, economy may collapse, but God, I know you'll provide for me. I know you'll take care of me. If you care for the sparrows, if you know the number of hairs on my head, I know that you've got tomorrow's food taken care of today. It says, uh, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is where I said that it's a little bit of an Old Testament relationship still because Jesus hasn't died yet, uh, and our forgiveness today is not dependent upon whether or not we forgive others. It's dependent upon Christ and the offering that he has uh, given up for us, right? But yet this model still tells us that he has forgiven us much, and so that we should relate to others, we should do unto others as he has done unto us, right? He says, lead us not into temptation. And that word temptation means testings. It's not tempting to do evil, not tempting to sin. But he says, keep us away from the trials and from the tests of this life. Don't lead us into those things. Guide us around that. Because none of us desire to have trouble. None of us desire to have testings, right? So he's providing, or he's praying for God's safety. We can, uh, we can relate this to the 23rd Psalm. Yea, that I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. So he says, um, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, there was a, a man that said one time that the way that he prayed, he said, he said, Lord, give me wisdom to avoid the snares that lay before me and lead me around the ones that I'm too ignorant to see. Right? That's basically what he's praying here. Guide my feet, guard my steps, keep me from trouble. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And so on both ends of this, he is uh, looking at God's power, at his ability. He's saying, thine is the kingdom. All things belong to you. Thine is the power you're the all-sufficient one. All strength is yours. You have the ability, the capability. Whenever I'm trusting in myself, I'm in trouble. Whenever I'm trusting in him, he has the strength and he has the ability to make it happen. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. All things are for his glory. All things come back to him. And whenever he takes care of us, whenever he watches over us, whenever he provides for us, it glorifies him, doesn't it? So thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. 
And so this is the, the whole model that God, that Jesus gives to his disciples to pray. Relate to him as your father. See him as who he is, the all-capable, all-sufficient God that loves you and cares for you and relates to you, that is available to you. And then trust him for all things, for his leadership, for his guidance, for his provision. Lay all your cares upon him. And then he closes out once again with thinking about, after I've given all my cares to God, thinking about once again how sufficient and how capable he is. I'm putting things in the hands of someone who loves me and is capable of taking care of what I've got going on. Okay, And you see how this is relational, that it is uh, as a child depending upon the parent. Starts out with our father, right? And so as a child comes to their father and says, Dad, I need your help with this. I can't do it, but I know that you can. Doesn't that pretty much sum up the prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples here? And so whenever we bring prayer down to being a ritual, for it being something that is done out of a habit or out of an obligation, whenever we do it mindlessly, whenever we do it because we're Christians and that's what we're supposed to do, we have completely missed the boat, right? And so what prayer actually is, is us coming to a God who loves us, who gave, who gave us access. Uh, I'm not going to go there for the moment, but you can take a note if you want. But it says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, let us come boldly to his throne of grace. Why? Because he has given us access to him. We can come boldly just as a child would to their father. I've given this illustration in the past, but if you think of a monarch, if you think of a king, with anyone approaching to that king, they must come in the right way, in the right method. They must not upset the status quo. They must have an appointment. They must do the right. They must meet all of the obligations to stand before the king, except for one person, their child, right? Children don't follow the protocol. Children don't have to make an appointment. They don't have to see the receptionist. They can rush right on, right? And so here it says, we can come boldly to his throne of grace. We're not coming trembling. We're not coming fearing. Though we're approaching the God of all creation, we're approaching our Father in heaven. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? And so we're coming to him, and we have access to him. We have an invitation. We've already talked about where it says, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. We have an invitation to come to him with every care, every concern, every trial that we have, and cast it upon him because he cares for us. This isn't something that we do to boast. This isn't something that we do to make ourselves look good. It isn't something that we do to impress others, but it is something that we do to communicate with the God who loves us, cares for us, and saved us, right? And so we have this invitation. It says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Be careful for nothing, but in all things with prayer and supplication, make your requests known unto God. The idea of being careful for nothing doesn't mean to be reckless. It means to not be anxious, not to be filled with care, because we have that access. We can take all of our cares to God. 
And so as we see all these things, we see that prayer is such a valuable, important part of our spiritual health and growth because we can cast our cares upon God. We can uh, seek His help whenever we're going through trials, when we're going through temptations, whenever our minds are disturbed and troubled, whenever we're having problems in this life, when we don't know which direction to go, whenever uh, anything whatsoever is bothering us, we can take it to Him. Sometimes our minds will tell us that's not important enough. That's something trivial. That's not uh, something that uh, you should pray about. But that's not what God says. He says all things. If it's something that you are troubled with, if it's something that concerns you, then it concerns him. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? Say, well, that's frivolous. You can't pray about something so stupid as that. I found myself praying about some pretty stupid stuff. I don't know about you all. Some things that you activities that you do, you, you find yourself praying about stupid stuff. Several times I've been under a vehicle working on a car and lose a bolt. Ever do that? God, please help me find this thing. I'm never going to get done. Oh, there it is. I think God won't answer prayers like that. He will. Casting on, And that's, that's silly. I feel dumb even saying it in front of everybody, right? But you can cast all of your cares upon him. You can go to him with everything. Be careful for nothing. And so we have that invitation that we can come to him in prayer. And so we've seen a little bit about uh, wrong ideas about prayers. We get into it, we think, okay, this is something that I have to do. It's a requirement of the Christian faith. If I'm to be a good Christian, then I need to pray this way uh, this many times for this long. And I've heard preachers and teachers and stuff talk about uh, how long to pray and praying for an hour. Pray. If, if you don't have anything to say for an hour, don't just go up a clock. <laughs> Right? Go to God, say your peace, trust Him with it, and go your way, right? Some of the most effective prayers in the Bible were incredibly short. Peter cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, save me, whenever he was sinking about to drown in the ocean, right? The Lord heard him, he saved him. Good enough, right? And so uh, we're not to just go and do it as a religious exercise and fill up our, our day with it, try to fill up time because. Uh, this preacher or that person said so. But instead, this is a personal relationship with God. You're taking your cares, your concerns to Him. Not just yours, but we're praying on behalf of one another. Uh, in Galatians, I don't have it written down here, uh, but in Galatians it says, uh, bearing one another's burdens. One of the ways we do that is in prayer and lifting one another up in prayer. We find Paul gives requests, wanting all these different churches that he's ministered to, requesting that they pray about this or about that. He's got quite the prayer list, and he's saying, I'm praying for this person and that person, this situation and that church. And so this is ways that we are taking our cares and our concerns to God, and God is working through it. It does say that God knows the things that we have need of before we ask him, but here's the important thing about prayer. When we think about why we go to God in prayer, what it does whenever we go to God in prayer is, for one thing, it is communicating our faith, right? Why do we pray to God? Because we think he's capable of doing something about it, right? If you didn't believe that he was able, you're not going to go to him, right? And so why do we go to him? Because it shows our faith. It demonstrates faith in him. It demonstrates dependence in him. And this is one of the reasons the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God because he wants us to believe him. He wants us to depend upon him, right? It says in one place, you have not 
because you ask not. He says, I'm more than capable of answering your prayers and seeing to your needs, but you aren't depending on me. You're depending on yourself, and I'll leave you to it. I've given this example before, uh, but whenever the girls were younger, and I'm sure this is going to happen again with Melody, but I won't mention any names because they get mad at me when I do. But whenever the girls were younger, uh, they would try to do things themselves that they weren't capable of doing. They'd try to reach something on the top shelf of the cabinet, and I would be standing right beside of them, and they would almost break their neck trying to reach something in the cabinet, and they would refuse to ask me for help. And I would see them struggling, and I could easily just reach over there and do it for them, but you know what I did? I waited until they asked me. Say, if you want to depend on yourself, if you want to do it the hard way, have right at it, but I'm here when you're ready to ask. And I believe, and I believe this is on the authority of God's word as well, that God is very similar to that. That he is there, he is available, he is willing, and he is more than capable of working and leading and guiding and helping us through these situations. But we demand that we do it ourselves. Just like that stubborn little kid saying, I'll do it myself. And God says, okay. And he stands back and he lets you. And then whenever you get yourself in a mess, you done pulled the cabinet off on yourself and all the contents on the floor and you're just laying there. It's like, okay, well, I'll help you clean up the mess now, right? And so anyway, it shows our dependence and our faith in God whenever we do this. It is humbling to us. That's one reason we have trouble in prayer, isn't it? It humbles us to pray. It's us admitting that we can't do it. It's us admitting that we're not in charge that we're not capable, and that we need help. And sometimes the hardest thing that you can do in life is to ask for help. What is it that keeps a lot of people from being saved? They don't want to admit that they need a Savior. They want to continue standing on their own works and trying to uh, act as if they are good enough, that they're going to make it themselves, that somehow uh, their good works are going to be enough to put them over the top. Whenever we find in the Bible, it says that there is none righteous, no, not one that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and yet people don't want to admit that and say, I'm incapable of saving myself. I need Jesus to save me, right? That is a humbling thing, but it's showing faith and dependence whenever we do that. So that's why we need to exercise faith in prayer. But as we are exercising that faith, it also builds our faith, right? As we pray, we can uh, leave things in God's hands. We see him answering prayers, and as he's answering prayers, we see that these prayers are getting answered, and it encourages us. It encourages us to pray more. It encourages us to trust more. It encourages us and grows us in our walk with him, doesn't it? Something else that prayer does, and I about missed out on this one, but prayer also, uh, it unloads a burden from us. We talked about this last week in the second service whenever Mary came to Jesus and she said uh, to Jesus, they have no wine. Essentially, she's saying, Jesus, there's a problem. I don't have a solution for it. Now it's your problem. Right? And so that's essentially what she did. And so what about us? Can we go to God and say, God, I have a problem. I can't fix it. Now it's your problem. Whenever he says, casting all your cares upon me, he says, my shoulders are big enough to handle it. Give me your problem and go your way. Let me work it out. And so whenever we pray about things, we say, okay, 
God's got this. God's got it under control. I don't know how he's going to answer it. I don't know when he's going to answer it, but I know God's going to come through for me because I have a, his word that I can go back to. I can stand on his word. I can believe by faith that he's got this. And we can go about our way trusting that God's going to work things out. It unloads that burden off of us. It also refocuses our attention on God instead of on ourselves or on our problems. It takes our attention off of the problem, puts it on the problem solver. Right? And so imagine here as you're looking at this prayer, whenever Jesus says here, talking about our Father in heaven, that he is, his name is hallowed, that he is above all, that he is greater than all, that uh, his is the kingdom and the power and all these things. Thinking about the greatness of God, suddenly our problems become smaller, don't they? So saying, okay, God's capable of taking care of these things. And so prayer also, another thing it does is it brings us together with God. Okay, it brings us together with God. Uh, for one thing, the Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whenever we sin, whenever we fail as Christians, what is usually the first thing that happens in our hearts and our minds? Don't be super spiritual over here. Guilt and shame. Okay? Is the guilt and shame from God? No. You look back at Adam and Eve in the garden. Whenever they ate off of the tree, what did they do? They hid. Right? But we find in uh, uh, 1 John 1, 9, whenever it says, Confess your sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You have a promise in God's word that all you have to do is come clean. Right? And God can begin cleansing you from the guilt, from the shame, and reworking those things and helping you through it, right? Now, our flesh and the devil would have us to hide, to try to cover it up, to pretend like God doesn't know. Can you imagine Adam and Eve in the garden trying to hide behind a bush thinking the God of heaven couldn't see him? But that's like us whenever we're... Uh, just being completely honest with you, whenever I mess up... I struggle to go to God in prayer because I'm ashamed. And it's not because of him. It's because of me, because of my flesh, all these things. And so it makes it harder for me to pray, but I have God's promise in his word that I can come to him freely, that whenever I come to him freely, he is going to forgive me. It's not that I'm going to come to God and say, God, I did this. And he says, well, let me think on this for just a little bit. No, he's already told me ahead of time, you come to me and tell me what you did wrong. I already know about it. But whenever you tell me, whenever you are willing to confess it, then I can begin the work of cleansing it. As long as you're hiding it, as long as you're keeping it from me, I cannot do that work of cleansing in you. He's already forgiven it on the cross, right? But it's the matter of being honest with God and it's coming back together with him and getting all things out from between us, right? That reconciliation. And so we come to God and prayer brings us together with him. It gets rid of the sin that separates us. It gets us on the same page. It gets us on the going in the same direction. And so all of these things happen in prayer. This is why it's so important for us when we pray. And so the very last thing that I want to look at here, and, and we'll be done with this, is so how do we pray? We've talked about the wrong ideas on prayer. We've talked about what prayer is really about. 
So how do we pray? You have to be in a specific place, specific position. Do you have to be like prostrate on the floor? No. You have to use specific words, phrases. Go about it a certain way. Proper English. No Afrikaans. Yeah, he, he even understands the words that we make up and no one else understands, right? Yeah. I think we should just come as we are. Okay. It's just like a continuing open conversation all day long. Mm -hmm. It's not like when a child comes to a parent, they don't come formally every single time. No, it's I'll a, tell old parents. Yeah, it's, a, it's an open dialogue conversation okay. all, all day. So could you imagine Hayden coming to you over morning, okay? And he's got a written out full A4 sheet of paper and this is my petitions for mom for this day. And he comes to you and he recites this entire thing and says amen and leaves and you don't talk to each other the rest of the day. That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? You'd have a terrible school day if that happened. Wouldn't he though? Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Is we were reading a Bible in this week there in Luke chapter mm -hmm. 6 where it talks about your enemies and all of them mm -hmm. praying for them that despitefully use you and all mm -hmm. of that. So it's not just saying that prayer is so much more than just like God was sort of saying in that passage to us like he cares about them as well. Mm -hmm. And we always think, oh, that guy's done me wrong, or this one's done me wrong, or whatever. God just says, just pray. Bring, bring that to me, and I'll give you peace in your heart. And I'll leave that, leave him up to me, or whatever, and I'll sort that out, and you can go on merely with a happy heart. Yeah, You know what I mean? But at the same time, bringing somebody mm -hmm. or that praying about it shows that God cares about that person. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. So so kind of two different things with that. He says, vengeance is mine, I'll glory pay. So I can trust him to deal with that other person. But then in praying here it says, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's like, yeah, they, they sinned against me. Yes, they they messed me over, but how many times have I sinned against God? Okay, well that puts it into perspective, doesn't it? So whatever gets too complicated for us to handle, it's like, God, this is a messed up situation. You do your thing. <laughs> yeah, so at the end of the scripture which we read, it says that God, um, he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Mm -hmm. Be ye therefore merciful. So we find out life is is complicated. Relationships are complicated. So we go to God and we trust Him with those as well. And that's a wonderful thing. I mean, it's wonderful that we can go to the Lord in prayer. We can talk to Him about everything. And uh, before we're going to uh, other people, talking about people, we can go to God and talk about whoever. You know, we can gossip to God. Does that sound weird? You can gossip to God. 
You don't have to worry about him telling your secrets, right? But you can, that sounds bad to say you gossip to God, doesn't it? He's the only one you should be gossiping to. You ever just need to unload? You ever just need to pour your heart out and get all your... Sometimes it reorients orients us. Uh, something that I think is really cool is if you go through uh, through the Psalms, a lot of times David seemed bipolar. Mm-hmm. You ever notice that? You're reading through the Psalms and David is pinning down some of the prayers that he's praying to God and he starts out and he's like on the bottom and he's talking about his enemies and the people who've done him wrong and how horrible he feels and the sins that he's committed. And by the time he's done with it, he's praising God. He got perspective. It changed his perspective. He, through his prayer, God realigned his focus, changed his heart and his perspective. And this is one of the things that we're talking about with prayer. We see things differently. Our problems are smaller when our God is big, right? Uh, Our failures are taken care of and the guilt and the shame is erased when we know that God has already forgiven it. Our Christian walk and our faith isn't a drudgery and isn't a difficult thing when we know that he is with us, guiding us, whenever we are following him and he is making us fishers, whenever we are yoked up with him and he is teaching us, right? And so all these things give us perspective both through his word and also through time and prayer. And so as we're talking about this idea of what is prayer like, how do we go about prayer? I will say that I think that it is a good thing for us to have a time and a place that we can separate out from the world. We can get rid of hindrances. We can get rid of distractions and seriously just get together with God and pour our heart out to him. Go to him about our cares, our concerns, our uh, our family, uh, our church family, the lost people down the road. You know, and go to him and pour out our heart about those kind of things. And that, I, I believe even maybe the, Early in the day would be a good time because it's going to kind of set the pace for the rest of the day. But I don't believe that whenever you say amen, that should be the end of the conversation. But that we should be going through the day taking all things to him in prayer. Whenever there is something that is a blessing to him, to you, then praise him for it. Thank him for it. Thank you, God, for that. I needed that. That was encouragement. Whenever we're going through and there's something difficult or we're struggling, God, help me with this. When someone comes to your mind that's struggling or having a hard time, God, please be a shock today. I know he's he's going through this or that or the other, right? It's just a constant communication with God because the Bible tells us that he is ever with us, that he is a constant companion with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And so with that, we're just keeping a conversation going with a God that is ever with us and that is more than capable of taking care of the things. We're just drawing him up beside us in this conversation. So with that being said, does anyone have any questions or any comments on what we've talked about today? Hopefully through these lessons, you're seeing that these aren't rituals that we're doing. It's not something on a checklist or a to-do list, but it is a, a great thing that we get to Uh, put ourselves in this environment, getting in tune with uh, the things of God through his word, getting our eyes, our focus upon him through prayer and drawing that hope and that comfort from the fact that he is with us and he cares about us, right?
Okay, well, if there's nothing else, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you today. Just We thank you so much for the privilege that we have to, to pray. Lord, we thank you that you hear when we pray. I know there's sometimes, Lord, that uh, we may not necessarily feel like you hear us, but Lord, we know that you do. And Lord, I just pray, ask you, Lord, to be with us and help us to realign our thoughts and our perspectives about prayer, about your word. Help us, Lord, to uh, grow in our walk with you. Lord, help us to have that spiritual health, Lord, that's going to bring about life and flourishing in us. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, wipe out these uh, these wrong patterns and these wrong thought processes and these wrong perspectives, Lord. Help us to see this uh, truly the way that you have, uh, have for us too, Lord. And Lord, we just ask you to be with our services here today. Uh, work in our hearts and our lives, Lord. We need you. We need your guidance. We need your help. We need your strength, Lord. And Lord, we just pray, ask you that you would uh, meet with us here and do exactly what's needed in, in the hearts of each person. I don't have a clue what everybody's going through. And uh, Lord, honestly, I probably couldn't handle it if I did. But Lord, I know that you do. I know that you can. And Lord, I just pray that you'd work in people's lives. We thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.